This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, it's now 9.36am and time for the SM show. This is the show, of course, about what's working in markets and what's not. I'm Melissa Idris with Julian Ng, and joining us on the show this week is Jeff Ng, director from Fortress Capital. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, how are you? Good. So today we're going to focus on investing in Vietnam, the opportunities and challenges of being in this frontier market. Is Fortress in Vietnam, Jeff? Yes, we are. Uh, we have a private equity investment in, in Vietnam. Uh, it's been around for about two years now, and the company is doing extremely well. So those are two major buzzwords there. One is Vietnam, and the other one is private equity. <laughs> Vietnam is now this great new big thing uh, for investors. Uh, is this a new China? Because China is losing out on costs, and Vietnam is apparently picking up the slack. Yes, it is, and it's, it's very apparent, uh, Julian. You know, with the increase in, in overall costs uh, in, in relation to manufacturing in China, we are seeing a lot of push into Vietnam. Uh, a lot of Taiwanese, Korean, Japanese companies, uh, including the Chinese companies, are moving uh, their manufacturing operations into Vietnam. So they're receiving a gazillion dollars of FDI right they now? Are, they are receiving huge amounts. Last year was a record for Vietnam. Uh, and it's only second to India uh, wow. in, in the Asian region. In okay, that's that's the potential yeah. though. But in this show, we also want to dig into the challenges of, of being in this frontier market. But before that, to go a bit more specific, which sectors were you looking at in terms of uh, investing in Vietnam? What excites us about Vietnam, and you know, we've been investing in Vietnam for about 10 years now. 10 years? Yeah, I mean, not, not so much Fortress, but you know, my, my experience in, in, in Vietnam has been 10 years. Uh, Fortress, maybe about two and a half years. Um, the, what we've seen in Vietnam is really the growth of the consumer. Vietnam really reminds me of uh, Malaysia, probably in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, the Philippines in the mid-2000s. Uh, where there is significant amounts of FDI coming into the country. Uh, there's a lot of foreign remittances, like what drove uh, the Philippines' growth for the last decade, and where, where of course, the Philippines is a darling in, in the emerging markets today. So Vietnam is, is moving there in a, in a very quick pace. In terms of, of challenges, of course, we've always faced challenges primarily in relation to uh, government policy. The government uh, was, f you know, tended to flip-flop a lot um, when we started investing back in the, the mid-2000s. Um, but, you know, after 2010, for instance, we noticed that the government has really taken a very proactive view uh, in terms of managing its economy. We, we don't see the very uh, sudden and surprise move in the, the Vietnamese dong, for instance, the, their local currency. Before, we used to see an 8, maybe perhaps a 10% depreciation in the dong in any given time. Now we're seeing very gradual movements in the dong, which is great. I guess the normalization of that relationship with the Americans also helped as well uh, in providing the kind of feel-good sentiment for other investors. In the same way that uh, the U.S. has already normalized relations with Iran and Cuba. Absolutely. 
In fact, uh, the, the incoming TPP, for instance, mm. which you know everyone talks about, Vietnam being the the smallest economy amongst, or should I say, the less developed economy amongst all of the partners, stands to gain the most. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so we're go- we're going to see huge amounts of of trade flows uh, coming out of, of Vietnam. So you said that uh, you have been looking at Vietnam for about ten years now, and many Malaysian listed companies are also with you because I guess they've seen that trend. Uh, very long time ago. Are these Malaysian investments good enough proxies to get an exposure to Vietnam? Uh, yes and no. I mean, they're, they're good proxies uh, because, you know, it, Malaysian investors who want to gain, uh, I suppose, some indirect exposure into, into Vietnam could very well invest into the Malaysian companies which are already there. But you don't see a pure play Vietnamese business uh, that's listed, let's say, in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So what are some of these companies? I, I guess the likes of Gamuda and yes. uh, I, so IJM? Gamuda, uh, IJM uh, is there. Um, there. There are a few you know, other companies, of course. The glove makers are there. Okay. Uh, you've got Chinwell, of course, which is one of the largest carbon fastener makers in the world. Uh, they've got a very large facility in Ho Chi Minh. And on average, how much does Vietnam contribute to their overall revenues or earnings? Uh, it depends. I mean, I think the real estate companies are much smaller just because they've got a dominant presence here. Uh, but for Chinwell, for instance, um, you know, its profit contribution from Vietnam is increasing quite drastically. And it used to be about 15, 20 percent. It's probably going to go much bigger from here. And you say you you mentioned that um, <clears throat> you know one way of getting into Vietnam will be through the private equity. Um, would this be a new way for Malaysian listed companies or companies listed companies around the region? So, so that if you don't go into Vietnam directly, can you buy into these uh, other companies to get future exposures? Yes. Yeah, so, um, how we make our private equity investments into Vietnam is we we tend to try to make the investments via offshore companies, which then own Vietnamese businesses, because you know capital flow requirements. The regulations uh, that govern capital flows is still quite, you know, uh, difficult at times. So it's easier to to invest via the, the uh, holding company that's offshore, for instance, that then owns operating companies within Vietnam, which is what what we did with with our, our private equity investments. Um, and so this is very similar to what the Wufi structure was for Chinese companies before where you know, foreign investors would be investing into the, the offshore companies, which would ultimately then own the operating units within China. Is there a way to invest directly in Vietnam, you know, either through their stock market, or is that too, too nascent of a stock market with all the teething problems that a, a new exchange will face? Uh, when in, in my previous company at, at Hong Leong Asset Management, we, we ran two country-dedicated funds uh, in Vietnam. Uh, so we were successful in being able to do that. I think at, at its peak, both funds ran, you know, had assets of approximately 120, 130 million ringgit. Um, so via the fund structure, it was definitely possible to do that. Uh, and for investors to invest into such funds was very easy. But for them to go directly and trade, let's say, the Ho Chi Minh Stock Exchange or the Hanoi Stock Exchange, it's going to be quite tedious. Mm. And with about 100-odd million ringgit AUM each, you probably bought into almost the entire market, right? It's such <laughs> a small market. We were quite, yeah, we were quite a, a big player there, yes. <laughs> you were, okay. <laughs> um, and uh, there you go. And um, um, can you give us some perspective? How big is the Vietnamese market and how many stocks are there listed there? Just rough figures. 
Well, figures about 500 odd stocks. Uh, between oh, already? Both, wow, yeah, that's quite a number. Between both the Ho Chi Minh as well as the Hanoi Stock Exchange. But market caps are still fairly small. I mean, we're still talking about 11, 12 billion dollars type of. Is it is it purely is it is it more weighted to institutional investors and foreign investors rather no, than? No, it's retail? very retail. It is very retail. Eighty five percent of the market is actually predominantly traded by by retail investors. Yeah, and and that's I think I guess a characteristic of these uh, very young new markets, which is that. Uh, foreigners don't want to go in yet until they've been certified by, let's say, MSCI or somebody like that, because uh, there are other issues, right? There are liquidity issues. There are also political risk and so on, which uh, foreign investors may not want to busy themselves with as at this point in time. So Vietnam is under uh, MSCI's frontier, frontier market, frontier yeah, market which, right? which is to be distinguished from the, the emerging, emerging market. So Vietnam is not emerging, but frontier. Yes. But, you know, it's done phenomenally well. In, in uh, 2015, for instance, it outperformed the, the average a- ASEAN market by 24%. Oh, wow. And it outperformed the MSCI Frontier Index by 17%. Uh, in t- 2016, this year, year to date, it's up 7.7%. So how big of uh, a weighting does it have in the Frontier Index? Uh, I'm not sure. I, uh, we we haven't checked in terms of what uh, the rating is. What what are some of the other frontier markets again in the index? Would you would you um, know? There are some South American markets in there. Uh, some African markets. I think uh, Ghana, Bangladesh, Ukraine as well. Pakistan. Pakistan could be yeah. in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, because the reason why I would ask is that uh, it would be very apparent that Vietnam is kind of like the most appealing country in that index. So this is a case where you really have to go micro instead of uh, just put blanket amount of money into the yes. entire frontier lot, right? Yes, you're extremely right. It has to be looked at from a country perspective. And, and even, uh, I might say that even looking at Vietnam, it has to be on a company-specific basis. More with the SNM show in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Morning Run on BFM 89.9. Good morning, I'm Melissa Idris with Julian Ng on The SNM Show. And this week, we're joined by Jeff Ng, Director at Fortress Capital, continuing our discussion on investing in Vietnam. Jeff, just before the break, you were talking about why Vietnam is sexy. But, you know, with every pretty girl, there's, um, there are risks to her. So um, I guess let's, let's delve into a little bit the risks. So you talked about how with Vietnam, you have to be not just country-specific, but company-specific. How do you mitigate the risks of um, trying to invest in a company that's operating in Vietnam? I think that uh, investing in Vietnam is very uh, analogous to investing in, let's say, Indonesia, where, and even China, where um, the management and the ownership of the company is very, very important. Uh, you've got to partner with them almost. Uh, you've got to gain their trust. They've got to gain your trust as well as, as the other way around. And um, the partnership needs to be formed and it's got to be on a continuous basis built upon. Because if partnerships go, go south, if it goes sour, um, it's going to be difficult for a foreign investor to essentially you know, practice their rights or exercise their rights. Uh, and you know, just like Indonesia, just like China, Vietnam's legal system is very protective of its domestic companies. 
So we've heard of news, I think, uh, in the last few years that some forex trader got charged by the government and I, I think got imprisoned as well. And what you are implying is actually on the flip side, very negative and very dangerous about investing in Vietnam. I mean, we also know that the Chinese government wants to open their SOEs to more international governance uh, type of rules. But now what you're saying implies that Vietnam is going the other way. Um, well, not necessarily. I mean, I, you know, these are, of course, the ongoing risks and uh, issues that, that one has to deal with. Uh, but I, I do think that they're making a lot of improvements. Um, you know, the companies that we are seeing today, even though they're private sector SME type companies, uh, they are showing a proactive approach to improve their governance, improve the acceptance of foreign investors, uh, and, you know, essentially using the capital that foreign investors bring in to grow the, the, the business in partnership with, with these foreign investors. So, yes, I, I, I think there are, there are material steps that are being taken to move things forward. Uh, on the government side, uh, they are also looking at, you know, essentially funding the growth of the of the government sector as well as the economy. Jeff, any risk of um, government involvement in business or meddling in business in in private companies? Um, a lot less than 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 what we used to see in the in the two thousands. Uh, you know, twenty ten really was a was a you know major change in terms of the the government's thinking, where they've opened their economy up to a lot more foreign, foreign investment flows. And as a result of that, they've also changed uh, to be more welcoming to investors. So you're moving from a point of uh, political risks before uh, in the form of government being involved in business to now a kind of regulatory risk. Are there enough safeguards uh, for investors, for example, if they want to enforce the rule of law uh, in certain of their interests? Uh, can that take place? Step by step, Julian. <laughs> 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 so the answer, I take it, the answer is no. Do you think that that actually goes in some way to reduce the uh, long-term returns? of? I mean, the returns are already very good, but it's not really hit its full potential yet. Yes. Uh, I, I think, you know, if one takes a long-term view with Vietnam, it's very hard to go wrong there. What kind of long term are we talking about? Ten? Five, ten years. The Vietnamese economy is really industrializing itself. I mean, today... Uh, Vietnam's largest export. You know, you want you want to take a guess what? The largest what it export is. Is, it, is it shrimp or prawns or is it rice? I'm I'm going to say it's something to do with with tech, right? Really? Yeah. No agriculture. No cell phones. Cell phones. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Cell phones. Yeah. The biggest. Yeah. Yeah, because they're cheap, and um, you know the likes of Apple and Samsung would want to move away from the high cost center of China uh, and to move into places like Vietnam. What right? do, so they make cell phones in in Vietnam? Yes, in fact, Samsung has got one of its largest facilities globally in Vietnam, just north of Hanoi. But they're probably at the low end, right? Uh, they're not uh, really at uh, the the mid range type technologies yet. Um, I think in terms of assembly, they are probably. Uh, maybe not the flagship products, but you know, most of the mass scale mm. products would, would be produced in, in, in Vietnam now, or, or should, should I say assembled in Vietnam. Just on a, a more basic level, so you said you've been interested in Vietnam for about 10 years now, right? So you've been to Vietnam, I take it, Jeff? Yes, yes, you've yes been many there. times. And yeah. what is it that you see there that makes you think the consumer sector is one to play into? Okay, so just very quickly, let's talk about demographics. Almost 100 million people more than 90% literate, 
58% of the population is below the age of 35. With this, it reminds you of a Philippines or Thailand or Malaysia, maybe about 15, 20 years ago, that is industrializing itself. So the, the way to play or to expose yourself to Vietnam is to is look at the consumer. The consumption behavior of the, Viet, the typical Vietnamese has changed dramatically over the last 10 years. Um, when I first started going there, we saw a lot more bicycles. We saw a lot uh, less cars. And we, we noticed that a lot of the motorcycles there that you know became a much larger part of the overall traffic didn't wear helmets. Mm. And then the law came in, all of them started wearing helmets. But you know, within a very short span of seven to eight years, uh, the bicycles have pretty much disappeared. Motorcycles are still there, but the cars are, you know, the number of cars that are, that are on the road these days is phenomenal. And of course, you know, with the typical rise in per capita consumption and per capita income, you see a lot more branded items coming in. So. so if you compare a way of exposure into Vietnam, do you think that it's better to uh, be with a PE fund, a private equity fund, or with a kind of unit trust focus in Vietnam, as, as you have done both, right? Yeah. I think that from our experience, uh, country-specific funds don't really work anymore. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, that a unit trust investing in Vietnam per se doesn't work. I just think that it doesn't attract enough investor interest, be it any country fund. Why? It's just the flavor of, of, of unit trust funds. People prefer to take a, a much wider view. It could be an ASEAN fund, it could be an Asian fund or global fund. But country-specific funds don't really work much anymore. Uh, so I think, you know, in the case of Vietnam, a lot of the growth potential really comes from the private equity side because you really see the, the value accretion. Wouldn't that be country-specific as well? Yes, but if, if let's say you want to, to, to delve directly into Vietnam on a standalone basis, a, a private equity fund would probably be your best bet. And the reason is that uh, it, it gets a, does it get a higher return than country-specific funds? Um, it's less liquid for sure, but I think the potential for returns will be higher. Okay, it's coming up to 10 o'clock now and a uh, big thank you to our guest today, Jeff Ng, Director at Fortress Capital. Thanks so much for being on the show, Jeff. Thank you. I'm Melissa Idris with Julian Ng and you've been listening to The SNM Show on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.